Welcome to Press B to Cancel. I am Pulse 109 and I am here to talk about eggs. Wait, no, that's not right. Okay, uh, let's try this again. How's it going, guys? I'm here with Sick Jake. You want to say hi, Jake? Hi, Jake. Thank you. And we also have Werewolf. Howdy. And we have GP from the Retro Therapy. Form fresh as always. Don't listen to the lies. It's not always fresh. Okay, but anyways. So we're here to talk about Castlevania today. We're going to touch on the evolution of Castlevania. Not so much and give you a history of it, but we just want to touch on a couple of key points and just kind of get a little feel for what everybody here is doing. What what was going through their head when they were playing it as a kid, maybe as an adult, anytime. So... We'll just jump right in here because I don't know where to start. I love Castlevania as a series. Um, I was just obsessed with it as a kid. I went on fan sites when I was a teenager and just discovering as much as I could about the lore of anything like that could be remotely linked to it. So be it just the games themselves and the storyline, the timelines, which are as convoluted as the characters sometimes, uh, to the backstory of where the characters are from, you know, from random uh, stories in history or other horror archetypes, you know, you have all the bosses, everything is kind of touched on. And that's probably what it makes it so appealing for me is because I was just a horror fan as a kid once, once I get the nerve to actually follow through and, you know, watch something. So, uh, guys, I just want to talk to you a little bit here. We're going to talk about Castlevania 1 first. Uh, we went in and watched uh, a bunch of videos. We did some research, tried to make it sound as professional as possible, but of course, I'm here to undo all that madness here for you guys. We're going to talk about Castlevania as we experienced it in North America, because there are so many iterations of every Castlevania game. Uh, just like when we talked about Rygar, I... There were versions on different consoles and different computers that I had no idea existed. So I don't want to, I don't want to bore everybody with that because we could make podcast after podcast just this series alone. So uh, let's just talk about Castlevania. It was released in 1986. Okay, I thought it was 89 because I thought when I had an NES, my brother bought one when I was four, going on five. It's probably my earliest memory is trying to jump over the first Goomba in the game. So I remember playing as a kid. It was one of my earliest memories playing on NES. So anytime I played a game, I just assumed it was new. You know, it there was no, this has been out for years. This was brand new to me. You know, was, if it was on the shelf, I assumed, you know, Farm Fresh, just like the Retro Therapy. Nice. Isn't that Red Guy Prime? Yes. <laughs> so um, some of the basic elements of this game, it was ported over kind of from Famicom and from another system. One thing about Castlevania, when it came to North America, they changed it, of course. There were little tweaks along the way to make it work for the NES versus the Famicom or maybe any other system that it was on or arcade. Um, but it was designed originally as a classic horror movie. You wanted to play this game and see a lot of elements that you'll see in horror movies. You want... You know, Frankenstein's monster, you want Medusa, you want, you know, bats and crazy castles with, you know, mysterious uh, stairways that lead into weird dungeons and stuff. You know, it is the epitome or epitome. I don't know how you pronounce that. Which one? Um, I think it's epitome. I like saying epitome. makes me feel like I'm French or something. Um, Anyways, so it is basically a video game horror movie as early as you could. There were, you know, people saying how it was scandalous you know 
as far as an 8-bit game can be. But, you know, it, it, it's something that people always had memories of. So what's, what's the earliest memory you have, Guy Prime, of uh, playing the first Castlevania game? I don't care if it was as an adult or not, but what's, what's the earliest memory you can think of? Well, let me take you all the way back to January of 2019. Uh, No, I started the year off with doing a series of blind runs on the retro therapy, and the first uh, series I wanted to tackle was Castlevania. Now, I had had seen, I guess, bits and pieces of Castlevania games here and there, but up until the the day that I started doing that series, if you'd shown me a screenshot from any of the Castlevania 1, 2, or 3 series, I wouldn't be able to tell you, like, oh, that's from 1, or that's from 2, or that's from 3. Didn't know the difference between Trevor Belmont and Simon Belmont. I've just never been that into the religious games like that one. So kind of learning Castlevania was a challenge. I really enjoyed the first one. We beat it, I think it was just in a single stream. So like five or six hours. I was very happy with that. I was a little, uh, not underwhelmed, but I, I was always given to understand they were much more difficult than what that first one was. And then, of course, oh, later yeah. on with 2 and 3, they, they became more and more difficult. But yeah, I mean, I, I loved the look, I loved the aesthetic, but until I, I fully became immersed and understood better Simon's Quest in Castlevania 3, it wasn't until I kind of retroactively fell in love with the first one. So, as a big picture, 1 is made justifiable by 2 and 3, but it's still enjoyable on its own. Okay, that works. And how about uh, you, Werewolf? Um... I remember playing through them as a child. I was probably six or seven when I first got to try one. And I was immediately hooked between the music and the gameplay. And uh, the game had very immediately uh, understandable rules in how it played and the mechanics and everything. So I kind of felt like it did a really good job with that. Uh, Just... All around, there were there were NES games where, to this day, I still don't understand what I was supposed to be doing with them at the time. And this one, you did not need the manual to know what was going on. It was awesome. Yeah, and they really made it, you know, it's kind of a simple bare-bones thing. You know, you, you jump in, you know the mechanics. There's not something special. You don't need a walkthrough like you do in a modern game, right? And this is one thing that established it for me really well. Uh, so... Let's uh, jump on before we, you know, just get too heavy on the nostalgia glasses here. Let's just jump into Jake's uh, commentary on it. And what do you have to say about it, Jake? What was your earliest memory? Uh, earliest memory, I guess, I was eight or nine. It was not uh, one of the first Nintendo games I ever played. Um, a friend of mine had it, and he said, oh, this game is great. You should come try it out. I was more of a Mario Mega Man fan. And uh, I sat down at his place to play the original Castlevania, and I died in like five minutes. And then it wasn't until that's lasted longer than me. Well, it wasn't until last year when I watched you guys all stream the series. I said to myself, "Hey, I'm good looking. Sure, I'm also good <laughs> at video games. Yeah, like these guys, I can play this game on stream." And I decided to practice it, and I realized I'm not good looking enough to beat Castlevania, even as an adult. <laughs> I suck at the game. I die. I die in the bat boss every bloody time, or I'm falling on pits or something. But we can talk about difficulty later. Um, I, I did want to mention real quick, though, um, GP, your point about the game being a religion game. I never really thought it was a religious game. Is that something that in your circle as yeah, a kid you I. noticed? Oh, no, that was that was 
that was just me being a dumbass. Like, that, that's clearly <laughs> not a, a Bible adventures game, but there's crosses everywhere and, you know, demons and uh, Frankenstein, all sorts of stuff from the Bible. So I didn't. Uh, I didn't really know. <laughs> I'm well, sorry. no, I'm not. I'm not making any religious points here. I'm yeah, just saying, it does have uh, Christian imagery. So there's that. Yeah, there's a lot of Christian imagery. Right, the, yeah. the lore is there, but I, I did not truly mean that it was a religious game. Clearly, no. Well, I'm just look at it because it's a it, Nintendo was notorious for censoring things, and Castlevania has a very mature theme. And when I look at it in hindsight, I think you're right. It's got the horror elements, but it's also got a little bit of that religious vibe to it. Definitely more mature title. And and that's, yeah, exactly what you guys are saying there is that, you know, they had to censor a lot of stuff in this game. And it's kind of strange considering, you know, back in the day and how limited the graphics are and stuff compared to now. And you can get away with pretty much anything you want in a video game now. It's not as, uh, it's not as rabid when it comes to people, you know, complaining. Um, but it's, it's interesting because the Japanese title, I don't know how to actually pronounce it, Akumajo, I believe. Akumajo uh, Dracula. Akamaja Dracula. So that, <laughs> yeah. Originally, that kind of translates, you know, it's never word for word like I always thought it was as a kid, but it roughly translates to Demon Castle. And one thing that uh, one of the game's designers and directors kind of wanted to stray from when they put it to the North. Uh, like North American audiences and and European, they wanted to change it because one of the developers literally thought it translated to uh, Demon Satanic Castle. So that's huh. where Castlevania was born. Hmm. So uh, th- I always thought that was cool because you hear Castlevania, it's it's iconic. You don't have it's not a, a cult classic, but at the same time, it's not super um, popular in in pop culture, but it, you know, it is referenced in many things like game of Thrones. They ended up saying Belmont. I think it was, was, uh, what they called a whip or a whip as people might call it. So, you know, there are little just bits and pieces that are in culture that I think really solidify it as a staple in video game history. And of course, when you get later into it with symphony of the night and, a lot of the Egovania style games, it really starts showing forward. So um, it really, I, I love how it touches on so many things like werewolf said, the mechanics of the game, they're solid. You play them and they're just, there's no frills. You know, what's going to go on. You know, it's, it seems simple. It seems, you know, basic. And the next thing you know, you're dying every second and you can't get past this jump or you can't get past this boss or this enemy. Like there's pinch points in the game. There's things that'll keep you coming back. So it, it takes practice. Those jumps, though, I mean, mention that for a second. Like, Castlevania, is, I think, is most well-known for its, we'll call it unique, method of jumping and movement for a character, <laughs> right? And when you compare it to the later Castlevanias, like Symphony of the Night with the slides and hops, and it's amazing, but the original Castlevania games are really unforgiving on those jumps and controls. Really? Yeah, it's true. And I think it kind of makes the whole experience scarier because when you commit to a jump you cannot correct yourself in midair like if you're going to jump you're going to jump over the two blocks worth of distance and then you know if you're jumping into an enemy you're hitting that enemy if you jump onto spikes and you miss time it you know you miss the platform you're dead so there's that stress that the game gives you you know it doesn't rely so much on the graphics you know because it's an 8-bit game there's only so much you could do uh, but I think they did amazingly well because so many item, uh, enemies are 
just easily identifiable. You know when you're fighting Medusa. There's This is obviously a giant head with snakes, you know? There's obviously, this is Frankenstein's monster, or this is a vampire. This is a scale. Everything reads really well, right, Werewolf? Yeah, with as primitive as all the uh, pixel art is in that game, and if you look at Castlevania 1 versus Castlevania 3, it's essentially more primitive looking than Castlevania 2 and 3 because they learned how to step up the artwork in those games. When you compare 3 versus 1, at a cursory glance, they do look a lot alike, but in Castlevania 1... A lot of it is very simplistic, and everything still reads really easily for just about anything. You know exactly what the item is, what the monster is, what the creature is, whatever have you. The background, all of it, it all is immediately understandable and translates into something that we go, yeah, I get that. Yeah, you don't hit a bro- uh, hit a brick in the wall and a piece of meat falls out and say, what is that? You're like, oh my god, wall chicken or wall meat. Right. Well, but I, I think that's one of the aspects of the game they really, truly adapted well from, you know, real life. Uh, just finding random bits of bits of meat inside the wall. This is true. And then I, I do want to say, I feel like with the first Castlevania, they accomplished more with less than just about any other video game franchise I can think of outside of maybe the original Metroid. But if you, you know, as Werewolf was saying, if you go and you look at how well everything has translated and kind of how well it's aged, you know, and, and I can speak to that because I just did a blind run earlier this year, you're, you're right. You, you, you know what you're looking at. You understand the rules. Uh, it's that left-to-right platformer. And I feel like this game, along with Ninja Gaiden, really introduced um, try not to get hit because you will go flying far back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the, the recoil from getting hit is just... I think I died more to that than anything else in, in that first run-through. Definitely. And what comes down to it is it, it creates an extra, like, level of atmosphere. So, you know, this is meant to be a horror game. A horror movie is what they were aiming for. You know, it's not just the, the graphics. Uh, they have spooky music. Like, the music, it has a lot of minors. I, I can't get into the theory because I don't understand it, but it feels kind of creepy. It puts you on edge. So it's it's just another level that makes you think, oh, crap, oh, crap. Uh, you know, if you see a pit, you kind of dread it because, like, am I going to make this? How about Jake? Anything you have to add on to that one? Or? I mean, not just the graphics. I mean, the graphics are definitely amazing. When you compare it to other earlier NES titles... Like you guys mentioned, they did so much with so little. Um, but on top of that is also the music. The, I mean, it's atmospheric, but like, is it Vampire Killer started in Castlevania 1, I believe? But like the soundtrack is one of the best in the NES, period. Yeah, and that's probably what attracted me the most. I was a budding musician, and, you know, the music is iconic. Well, I, yeah, I, I, it's not that I disagree. I feel like the music didn't really take off um, and become iconic until... Summon's Quest, Castlevania 2, which I, we don't have to talk about now. We can talk about that whenever you're ready to transition to that category, but uh, to me, that's really where it, it found its footing. I think that's a perfect time, man. Let's uh, let's talk about Castlevania 2. So, I mean, this has got a love-hate relationship. It's gotten a lot of flack over the years, but I find that most people are really, really open to it. I know a lot of people that have some really fond memories of this game. So, they kind of took a different direction and they stuck with a lot of the same kind of art styles, but they they darkened it up a bit. Like, the first Castlevania has a lot of really more popping colors, like a lot of blues and oranges. There's a lot of, you know, just 
really bright, energetic things. And it kind of makes me think of a horror movie in the way that, you know, all the older movies, you look at them now and there's nothing terrifying about them. You know, there's there's nothing scary about the original, you know, werewolf or the original Dracula or Frankenstein's monster. You know, the the classic universal movies, they're they're campy now, you know, but that back then they were terrifying. And it's the same thing with this game. Like I remember being scared of certain enemies in the game because I thought they were terrifying. And Castlevania 2, I think they've really nailed it home because they brought it in and said, we're going to darken this up. Let's uh, let's make this just uh, let's just make this really dark and make it more gothic. You know, uh, how about you, Werewolf? What do you think about it? Uh, touching on the the uh, horror elements, definitely with the just darker color palette in general, it helped just bring the horror feel a little further along as well as uh just the the night and day aspects the as a child playing through this game the the stress that came with nighttime oh, yeah. happening all of a sudden everything was much darker all the enemies were twice twice as hard i think in some cases they switched up their ai and moved faster um forgive me if that's not the case it's been a while since i've played oh but, no that's I mean, that's definitely it it's <laughs> even still when i fire that game up it's just oh god it's nighttime crap especially when yeah. your health bar is low and when you make it through the night and the day the sun arises once again there's just such a feeling of relief sometimes to the point where you let your guard down and end up failing almost immediately as soon as the sun rises because you've been <laughs> so on edge <laughs> throughout the whole night yeah, that's something you always re like. We're just on edge about, and then when you see that little block come up, because it's really slow. The transition between night and day is really slow, and it I is. think you know it's, it's been you know it's been ripped on a lot. But I think uh, I think that it has a another element. It's like it's got to soothe you, calm you down. Like when it when it's coming in, and it's going from day to night. You're like, oh, crap, crap, crap. Your blood pressure raises. You, The hair on your arm stands up because you know you're in town, and the next thing you know, you're no longer safe. So there's some extra hell, like horror element to it. So it's like committing to that jump in the first one. It's just another way that they add the horror, and I think that is an amazing mechanic. As, as annoying as it can be, it is definitely something that makes the game what it is. Yeah, even the probably the first 25 times I played this game were well before I ever owned it. Um, this was one of those games where when I went to somebody's house and they had the game, I immediately wanted to play that. I was just enthralled by it and especially the let's let's just say it now, like the one of the best pieces of music from the Castlevania series, Bloody Tears. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's good. I never got sick of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just this earworm, and it's not in an annoying way. It's just satisfying. It always resolves itself, and you just want to... It's like it's about to take off, and it never does, but at the same time, it doesn't stop taking off. Yeah, and even the music in the villages is... It's fitting, and it's perfect for the amount of time you end up hearing it before you're back in the field with bloody tears once again. Exactly. And I think in... The second game, they actually have a soundtrack of like that just clocks in over an hour altogether. And for an NES game, I think that's that's incredible that they fit that much on an NES cart. Because, oh yeah, you know, 
these games were meant to have things that are repeating over and over and over. So, I mean, you want it to, you want it to repeat, you want it to sound great, but at the same time, you don't want something to kick in like a song that you, like, it's your favorite rock song that you have on repeat. You know, you don't want it to kick into the solo, then the outro, and then it fades out. And then the start song starts over again. This one, you need to have something that starts and keeps going. So the music in the Castlevania series in general, I think with two is where it really took off because they introduced a lot of themes. They introduced a lot of themes, even not musically, that that became staples in the game. And uh, actually, Simon's Quest became one of the biggest influences that eventually became Symphony of the Night, which is... The, basically the highest regarded game in the entire franchise and for great reason so uh jake how about you what were some of your thoughts on just uh simon's quest great or not great what what sticks out in your mind about that game i mean when i look at it, the first game whose gameplay i thought was hot garbage to be perfectly honest um i was also terrible at simon's quest <laughs> but it's a game i want to like and i played it multiple times i never got far in it i, I think i even died in the town before that seems to stick in my head as a constant thing. I just finished Zelda 2, uh, which is also a bizarre second game in a, in, a, in a series. And I felt very similar parallels between the two, and I really wanted to get into this game. I love the day-night cycles. I love the theme. I appreciated the graphics, uh, I think, a lot more. I mean, this came out, I want to say, two years after the original I played. So I definitely wanted to like this one, but I just found the gameplay too difficult. That's fair. And... Uh, aside from like the difficulty was scaled down for this game because it's such a grand game there's a lot of backtracking it, the map is huge right it's not just left to right you have to travel back and forth you have to grind you have to buy items to traverse it's got the rpg element in there for better or for worse like there's things that can be tweaked obviously and they have been tweaked over the years yeah this was essentially uh an open world 2d platformer on the nes yeah and so that's you know, no small feat right there. And there is, of course, a lot of jank, as we call it. Uh, there's, you know, if you're playing this for the first time, you're going to die and you're going to get stuck and you're going to need a guide. Um, the only reason I ever beat it as a kid was because of, you know, guides, magazines, uh, special passwords that I got from, you know, whatever sources or Game Genie codes. You know, there was, that was the only way because it's not laid out. There are a lot of flaws in this game, but I think they actually added the charm. It also kind of makes a little bit more of the horror thing because where do I go now, you know? GP, before we go on to anything else, is there anything you want to talk about about this game? Is there anything that stood out to you, for better or for worse? Well, actually, yeah. I'm, thank you for coming back. I will admit, of the OG trilogy, this is my favorite one, Simon's Quest. Um, it definitely has its weaknesses, but as we've discussed on prior episodes, I'm kind of a fan of sequels that do not necessarily resemble everything from the first one so having said that i like that it's still a platformer but it's not just only left to right there's right to left there's up to down and there's the the rpg elements you know the story itself is kind of bizarre in that in order to break yourself of the curse you have to make the curse be fulfilled so it's kind of an interesting yeah. aspect there but they did away with what we loved so much about the first one in that you see what you're doing, you know what you've got to do, go and do it. So for Castlevania II, Simon's Quest, it's like, throw you in the deep end, try to make sense of what the villagers are telling you, but really, 
just walk around until you can afford something or something happens to you. So it's, yeah. there's weakness there, but there's a lot of charm in the way they were able to execute the game. And I think that, more than anything else, kind of makes up for the, its, its deficiencies. I was going to say, one of the biggest weaknesses the game has is its poor translation. I think that's really what held a lot of people back in that game over the years. It's Certain things didn't translate properly, so the player didn't get the information they were supposed to, and that makes the game sort of uh, misleading, and it just loses the player at a point unless you absolutely know what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and that's that's a great point, actually, because Koji Igarashi is one of the, the main hands on this game, and for the original three, actually. And uh, he commented on that at one point and said that the NPCs were all considered deliberate liars. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I thought that was really cool because, I mean, you think they're there to help you. They're, they're talking like they're giving you advice, like do this, do that. And they have, they're cryptic. There's so, so much to interpretation that it it's honestly just lost on the on the player so um it, it's really fun because a lot of people complain about that they have had rom hacks where they fix that and they you know give people hints and stuff uh, it's it's really something that you could look at it as another element to make it more horrific because you get lost you're you're not sure what's going to happen next so I, I i actually when i found out that that was in, intentional that they are deliberate liars. Mm-hmm. I thought that was great because it's just like, okay, you know, we didn't have walkthroughs in, in the games. You don't have tutorials in these games. So when you're given this hint and then that hint is really just like a MacGuffin, you know, red herring, it doesn't lead to anything. I think it's really cool because at one point you're like, okay, I'm going to check these guys and see if this one, okay, this one sells me something good. I need this. I obviously need this. I'm going to talk to this one. This one says I need to trade a red or or a, a not a red or a red crystal for a blue one or whatever ver, whatever order it is, and then you talk to somebody else and says you know, bang your head off Deborah's cliff, <laughs> which literally meant that you were supposed to uh, equip a certain item and duck on the end of a cliff uh, until a tornado takes you away. I mean this is extra fantasy to it. You know it's not just the horror movie stuff. It becomes a lot more gothic and dark there's more christian elements in there there's a lot more religious allegory in there and then it adds another layer and that's i feel like they were start you know they were trying to get something they might have missed the mark but they also realized this is what we like and we're going to improve on it so they honestly they didn't go back to this style of game until symphony of the night and then that's where they hit their stride and you know the division became do you like the old school Castlevanias versus the newer ones or the Egovanias where they were all basically styled like Symphony of the Night? Uh, I love both equally. I, you can't make me choose because I just enjoy them all and for different reasons. So I think that was really something they brought into when they made the third game in 1989. So this is two years after Simon's Quest is released. This is three years after the original. They basically said, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's go back to what we did. Let's go back to what we got right with the original it's not that they were ashamed of their original game i don't feel like a lot of people say oh no they smartened up and they went back to what made it great uh make castlevania great again or something you want whatever you want to say um i I thought that would i thought that would grow great but okay we had the same directors for all three games and 
it's not that you know they said okay we screwed up on Castlevania too. Let's let's just make this harder. We gotta we gotta give back some action because it was really slow paced in the second one. The third one is definitely the hardest of all three and by a long shot. I mean, like Guy Prime said, he beat the first game in five or six hours in a single stream. How long did it take you roughly to beat? Did you have any troubles? Yeah. Uh, well, but probably I would say the average troubles everybody has with that. And the thing is with Castlevania Three, I, I only did the one route. I need to go back and do the other routes. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> but yeah, no, it took me, I think, a solid five days to get through, and we did the Alucard route, and I think that's probably considered the easier one. I don't really know, but that still took five days. Yeah, and that's the thing. There's multiple routes in this game. like So they, they made it less linear, even though it was a linear game. Like You go left to right, you go right to left, but you have a choice. Um, in between levels, you have a choice of where you actually can go. You can go to the clock tower versus a swamp, or, you know, there's there's different people you can play as instead of just the whip-wielding Belmont, which is Trevor in this case. Um, you can get Alucard, you can get Grant Dynasty, who, or Dynasty, they've they've changed his name multiple times. It's but he's Dynasty, a... please. It has to be Dynasty. That's the canon lore Doing name. Dynasty. <laughs> Hello, Dynasty. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's a choose-your-own-adventure video game. Yeah, with ridiculous hard levels in it so you know <laughs> yeah no and I, I feel like what they did is they instead of just taking uh castlevania 2 and adding all the great things from castlevania 2 plus castlevania 1 and getting castlevania 3 it's like they multiplied it they took everything that was great with 2 and multiplied it by 1 uh, well hold on okay so numerically that doesn't make sense but i think you guys get my point yeah definitely i i just i feel like 3 is the sum of the best parts from 2 and 1. And I like that. I really like that because I look at them, you know, like Werewolf mentioned, the graphics were a lot more tighter when they make, when it came out with 3. You know, uh, the first one, very simplified. You could tell, I mean, everything's still based on tiles. You know, you can jump over, I think it's two tiles width. You have to be careful. You have the same mechanic where you can't jump and adjust your direction which is actually it's kind of a thing of realism if you think about it can how well can you jump and squiggle around in the air before you land in real life um i'm not really good at it i haven't tried not since i was like six so uh i always wondered how the games did it and made it look so easy i bet you could if somebody was chasing you with like a medusa head you'd find a way to do that true yeah i'd find yeah i can run faster scared than you can angry kind of deal yeah you find uh the strengths in the strangest of scenarios I touched on the horror element of the first one and the second one, and I think that they made into the third a different one. They made the difficulty part of what you feared in this game. Uh, I, like Guy Prime, I only went through the first, the easy, what I call the easy route, the Alucard route. I, I went the same way every time so I could get through it, and I knew what to expect, and I was scared to go any way else, I, and I honestly should change it. But I really like it because the graphics, again, Werewolf said that they were, you know, they polished them, you know. They were still tile-based, but there's more detail. There's more background. There's more color. Um, it's not just, like, the oranges and reds. Like, they, they still have a lot of the orange and reds. The palettes seem to be the same, but there's more detail behind them. A lot of um, green in this one. A lot more green. It's, it's yeah, different, exactly. different spin on it. Yeah, and so, you know, the enemies I found, um, they take more than one hit. 
you kind of have to strategize even more. Like, so gameplay wise, it's a lot more like the first, obviously the second one's easy mode, but of course you have to simplify it when you're going through such a grand scheme. But when three came out, they said, okay, let's make this like the first one, but we have to make it hard. We have to make it scary. You want to be like Castlevania three and kind of, you dread it, you know, not because it's a bad game, but because it's a hard game, but it's, it's a challenge that, you know, you don't get otherwise. So I think they really like that. It's become my favorite, actually. It's recently dethroned everything for me. For Castlevania 2 used to be my favorite. It's, I think it was just the satisfaction of beating it. So, uh, Jake, how about you? What did you think about... Have you played through 3 completely, or have you messed around with it? Have you tried different routes and got fed up and said never again? Or have you like taken the plunge and tried to beat the entire game? Actually, this is the one I like a lot. Uh, for me, when I think classic Castlevania, this is the game I played the most when I was young. Uh, I found it easier. Uh, maybe because I was an older gamer at the time, as an older kid, so I had more experience in my belt. I don't know, but I actually got much further in this one than any of the other past games. I, I don't think I beat it. I remember watching you guys play and, and going up against Dracula and the Clock Tower level especially being very difficult to watch you guys get through. I don't think I made it that far. But I definitely sunk hours and hours in this game. I love the multiple selectable characters. Not just the name, Dynasty, but Grant and the ability to like scale walls. I thought it was a great as a kid. That was one of the first games I played where the character had so much mobility, I guess, in a way. And the fact that he had multiple selectable characters is, to me, groundbreaking. And there's very few games from that period, I think, that had similar. I mean, I think the only thing I can remember offhand is Ninja Turtles, which... Is nowhere near as good, right? The, the, these ones had you had Alucard, you had uh, I want to say the, the what's her name, Sophia or Sifia, Sifa, Sifa. Thank you. I should have watched yeah. that anime. But I like how each one is very, very different, different abilities, and I think when you're using the various characters, that made the game easier to me. So this is the one I love. I actually played a lot of this one. It's it's banging. I think I actually owned this one as a kid. Yeah, I had the second one, and I remember. That was probably one of the biggest reasons. Maybe it was nostalgic glasses or something, but it's the fact that the familiarity of Castlevania 2 became... I knew it the best, so I, I knew what to expect, and it just became ingrained in memory. Like, I know I've had better feelings playing this because I played a lot of it. Um, so I can see that definitely, because if you owned it, I think back then, especially when you are a kid, you didn't have access to buying games like you do as an adult you know there were no steam sales you don't the only way you got something for five bucks is if it was somebody's grandmother who was selling stuff and found it and didn't know what it was worth so she said oh Darlin, take this for uh, 250 oh, i don't know what it is you know they think it's a decoration or something and my grandmother is nothing like that by the way she's that was a spot-on representation of mine <laughs> <laughs> Nobody could jump around buying games like that. So, you know, if you owned it, I think you kind of have a soft spot for it. Some part, some part, unless it's, you know, Battletoads, because then you're just like, no, no, no. screw Battletoads. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you, you touched on something, Jake, there. I mean, the clock tower, that's become synonymous with Castlevania. And that becomes a lot of the time one of the hardest areas in any Castlevania game or one of the things where bosses and enemies are really prevalent like medusa heads yeah let's let's just chuck talk a little bit more about this because again like i said the horror element becomes difficulty in this one they've they've established the artwork they've established the music in the second one like as what like they introduce more music 
especially for the second one. The third one has amazing music, and there's new songs, and there's even some songs that are reminiscent of Bloody Tears and Vampire Killer, and just as iconic, and I kind of kind of regret that, well, not that I have anything to do with it, but uh, I kind of just disappointed with the fact that some of them didn't become such staples as the other two. They, they established a lot, so by now, they, this is a finely greased machine we've we've got stuff to go with here so what's something that stood out for uh for you jake there i just want to ask you well i mean one of the standouts besides well the characters the selectable characters and the overall theme is just what set this game apart for the rest of the series but what i really love is that the producer koji uh, iga i guess uh, he later left konami and he did a kickstarter for um, another series of games called bloodstained and they did a, ah, yes. a retro throwback version of that game that came out a couple years ago and it's a carbon copy of Castlevania 3 like right down to the three selectable character or uh, four selectable characters the spellcaster the you know all that stuff it's fantastic to play that and that's what got me to play Castlevania 3 not too long ago is I love Bloodstained so much and that style of gameplay with multiple characters and the theme I went back to Castlevania 3 like the influence that game had on other other series is just outstanding Oh, that's, that's exactly the point. Now, it was Bloodstained. I, I've watched it, and I know exactly what you're talking about, but I haven't played it, and I that's want to. I'm... Curse of the Moon, yeah? Yeah, that's the one. Yes. One quick question about that, because I'm not familiar with it enough to, to weigh in on it, besides the fact that it looks amazing, and, yeah, carbon copy in the best way. Like, it's an, an homage completely to it. You know, it's not trying to rip into it, you know, like a parody. It's, we've got a system here. Let's work with it. That's what they did. Was it as ridiculously hard as three? Uh, no, it's actually quite a bit more accessible. Uh, probably maybe because of the, the generous uh, continue system. Uh, I've, the power-up's a little bit more on the powerful side, a little bit easier to get through. It's still a challenging game, especially for somebody like myself. I'm not I'm not the greatest of these kind of games. Um, but I found it a lot easier than Castlevania 3. But it's got the same uh, physics, physics style, the same kind of gameplay feel to it, so it can be quite difficult, but very generous on the extra lives. Oh, that's great. I like to hear that. Makes me want to play it even more now, actually, because I'm not as fearful. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fantastic game to go back and play. And it's again, it's it's just like Castlevania Three is great. Let's make more of that. Like twenty years later. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so just before anything goes further, this is a current game. Like this was only released last year. Um, so if you want to check it out, it's on Steam and probably the PlayStation Four and Xbox One. I'm not sure. It's on everything. But if you have. It's on everything. Yeah. Okay, so in that case, really check out uh, check out Bloodstain. Just look up both games; they're both worth checking out. So if you want to support, because these are indie games as well too. So there's not a, but this, like you said, Kickstarter campaign, brand new, and it's based off of the love of this franchise. Like it's a spiritual successor, in the greatest way because it's the same uh, director. You know, it's like the same developers who's known for making these games has said, hey. I want to make this because I miss it, and I think we can do something great. So definitely check these out. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this one because we're talking about Castlevania. Sorry, Werewolf. Let's uh, let's go into what you got to think about 3. Well, just before we get back to uh, Castlevania 3, talking about Curse of the Moon, I do have to wonder how much uh, Igarasha was, Igarashi was involved with that because I do know that game was uh, developed by Inti Creates. And that's right. That's not his studio, but uh, I I I feel like they're a good company and they're they're going in the right direction with what they're doing for the most part. Back to Castlevania Three. Um, I'm pretty sure this was the first Castlevania I beat as a kid, 
And wow, I don't think I've really sat down and played it since then. So when I threw it in my NES to give it another shot this week, I was blown away by a few things. First off, when I first put the game in, the first level, totally misleading. It makes you feel like it's going to be more of the same following Castlevania 1. And then you get to the second level, and, you know, if you choose to go to the clock tower, you head up, you find Grant. And immediately, the game is turned on its head. You have Grant, and not only are you not going to a new level, you can play as a new character who moves so much faster, has so much maneuverability in so many ways. He's much weaker, but the fact that he can crawl on walls and ceilings, and it's it's a fluid transition. You don't have to just jump on a wall and then get off the wall before you can go on the ceiling or whatever. Uh, I thought that was amazing, but the fact that you have to actually backtrack down through the second level after you get Grant. Oh, really? I didn't even remember that. So, like I said, I went the Alucard. I was blown away. You you were retreading a level backwards, which was just crazy to me. And then from there, you start going through and, you know, you take paths and you can trade out characters for other characters when you come across them or whatever. But the game just plays so different from the first one. The first level does not do the game justice. If you if you only ever played the first level of Castlevania 3, you would think it was no different from Castlevania 1. And Exactly. That's it's kind of unfortunate, but at the same time, I feel like it it did a good job of bringing in people who did love the first Castlevania. When they sit down to play this one, they're like, "Okay, cool. I'm into this. This is what I signed up for. I love the first one. The second one was a little weird. This one has me back." And then it starts throwing curves at them, but it's not so different from the original gameplay that it's foreign it's just it's a little bit mind-blowing <laughs> I, I i like where you're going with that actually i really like that because you know this i agree with you completely they kind of the first level feels like the first game you know it it's like an extension of the first game you know they they went back to the roots of you know side scroller there's no exploration there's no grinding for for currency or anything and then they go and then they throw something at you that was never been there before i mean you play as grant and it's nothing like playing as trevor or as any of the belmonts that you play yeah they just it's and immediately they turn the game on its head they give you this false sense of security like you know what you're gonna get and then immediately you don't know what you're getting anymore yeah all of a sudden i'm climbing on walls and ceilings and finding one-ups in places trevor could never reach (laughs) <laughs> yeah there there are special like candles in the game that you can only reach with specific characters and i think that was really cool they they made it replayable in a way that i don't think was ever done before because you have not only do you have multiple paths that you can take you have different ways to go about it you know the end result might be the same you fight the boss but there's different experiences with them you know if you play it as grant the whole way through you're going to suffer because he's so weak but he's fast you know and it's it's like oh why can't he hit as hard as trevor you know or why can't he take as many hits but you know he's so mobile that it's so easy to get around so you get through one level and you're like i'm going to switch to grant just for this scene and you can go switch back and forth as much as you want so they really turn something on his head you start out you mentioned with earlier with ninja turtles uh jake and you know you have the chance to switch between them but you start off with all four turtles 
you and know, they're largely the same to too. Right. Yeah. yeah. The only real difference between them is just the reach of their weapons and maybe damage output from them, but I'm not even certain on that. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you you have to earn who you help and they come by different ways. Uh, Grant, I think he's possessed, so when you beat him, he's no longer cursed, and he's like, hey, I want to help you. Uh, same thing with uh, Alucard. You fight Alucard, and he says, I wanted to test your strength. You were worthy of my help. Let me help you defeat Dracula. And, uh, you know, Sypha's, again, like, I don't, I can't remember. I think she was I think she was petrified by the boss, the Cyclops, so when you defeat the boss, she's she's human again let's uh just talk about this a bit before we just get long-winded because again i can go on about this for hours i love this series and we could talk about this for days and days just talking about the third game so uh gp here tell me a little bit of your experience about this uh well i, I want to I, of course i will i've got a really great story i want to get into with this actually but before i do i kind of want to speak to the uh, the mentality of uh, kind of like the not the cause and effect but the call and response between these video game developers and the mob of, you know, the mass of people who, who uh, ingest these games. So it's kind of like, you know, you've got these, these game developers saying, we're going to beat them up, and that's Castlevania 1. And the crowd goes, yeah! And so then they try something a little bit more extreme, and they're like, and we're going to kill everybody! And that's Castlevania 2. And, and the crowd is like, well, I don't, know. I don't know about that. That's a bit extreme. So then they say, what I meant was, we're going to beat him up really, really, really bad. And that's Castlevania 3. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> here's this. We like it. Here's this more extreme. No, we don't like it as much. Here's a middle ground, and that is Castlevania 3. But they just they fucking nailed yeah. it out of the park. So that that's always been my interpretation of that game, if that makes any sense. It's absurd. No, that's totally... I, I like it because, I mean, you don't think about 2 and 3 as something... They're completely different games, yes. But at the same time, they both have this adventure feel to them that the first didn't. The first one, straightforward platformer, and it's great at what it does. It It's totally just, you know, you can take it and leave it. You can put it up, put it down, you know. Um, the second one is a bit more of an adventure. You have to take time. you got to learn where to go. You have to find different items. You have to make a, like, there's an adventure to it. And this one is more of a beat-em-up when you're talking about the third one. you You have to time yourself you have to pace yourself the same way as you do in the first one you can't just you know walk waltz right right through and hit every enemy once and they're dead you have to plan your attack a little bit and then there's the adventure element like we already touched on with the characters swapping and you can go through it with just trevor like i did as a fool because i'm a sucker for punishment or you could go and take alucard in this like easy mode because he can fly you know um there's so many ways you can play this game and i think it's really cool how they added it's not just the difficulty that makes it extended for play there's different ways you can go about playing it right so i i really think that if you're scared of hard games you should still try and grind your way through this game because it there are points where you're going to suffer anything else you want to add to that there oh yeah not not to put too fine a point on it but castlevania 3 is the wizard of oz but instead of finding you know, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion, Dorothy just finds one of them. You know what I mean? So you can have this, yeah. or you can have that, or you can have that, and then you go, anyway. But, no, my the story I wanted to tell was um, eight months ago, I owned exactly zero 
cartridges of any of the Castlevania series, right? I just never grew up playing them. I had friends who loved them, and I had one friend in particular who was like, well, whenever you play Castlevania, you have to start off with Simon's Quest. It's like one of the greatest games of all time. So anyway, fast forward to this past Christmas holiday. Um, my fiance, Abit Beatrix, and I took our kids. We drove around all these different states just searching for video games, and I ended up collecting all three uh, Castlevanias from a single pawn shop where I went in and I haggled with the guy and I got him down to a pretty decent price and then I, sh- I went out to tell 8-Bit I'm like I don't know do we want to buy these three games for this amount she goes well let me go talk to him so I roll my eyes get back in the car she goes in and comes back out with all three games she got Castlevanias 1, 2, and 3 I think it was for 34 bucks wow Wow. and I'm that assuming she had to show some nip I don't know <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I, I, I find it best not to ask her those things. Uh, but she, she came through. Ignorance is bliss. Yes, in this case, yes. So anyway, uh, fast forward to the next time I, I, I bring up my Wii, my Nintendo Wii. And it turns out I've had Castlevanias 1, 2, 3, and 4 downloaded on there for years. I just never got around <laughs> to playing them, uh, playing them. Yeah, so that's that was my story I had to tell. Thank you. Well, <laughs> that's great because, you know, now you can feel like you got your money's worth and then some because... You know, the money you saved on those carts, you already spent on the digital copies, I guess. Right, yeah. So all the money for the carts, <laughs> plus a titty, and that's nice. <laughs> all right. So, guys, uh, just let's close up here now. We've already talked about this for a good while. Uh, anything you want to talk about in closing before uh, we end this bad boy? No, I, I kind of like, I'm trying to think back what the reception was, like reviews were for uh, Castlevania's 2 versus 3. I know 2 is regarded not necessarily... I mean, a lot of people love it. There's a lot of grid fans who think that's the best of the series. There's a lot of people who don't like it. It's got that sequelitis problem that a lot of series do have. And I think, I want to say that 2 had poor enough reviews, or not maybe not poor, but average 6 out of 10, 5 out of 10 reviews, that Koji kind of went back to the formula. They had to go back with 3 and revisit the original game, I guess. And that's why I think the first level kind of opens up the way that it does. I mean, yeah, he definitely breaks away into new territory, but I think he wanted to really hammer home, like, hey, this is the original style Castlevania. This is not Simon's Quest 2. Like, I know if I've read interviews that 3 was his favorite of the series, if I'm not wrong. Oh, that makes sense, too. I mean, you know, that explains the Bloodstained games. And Symphony Night is mainly influenced by Simon's Quest, which, you know, if you look at it, you can see, oh, the RPG elements, the exploration um, the items you need to go forward. You know, it's before Metroidvania was a thing. You know, it helped become what it was. It's part of the evolution. But three, you know, being his favorite, I think that's that's really interesting to me because you know, he spawned the the Ecovanias as they call them. Uh, you know, the original Metroidvanias. So I think it's amazing how all of these games, as similar and as different as they can be we're all integral to what this what the franchise has become and what other games have been spawned because of it. I mean the, the term Metrovania, I mean, I think that return refers to Simon's Quest more than the third game for sure. I think that's what spun off the, the whole idea of that genre. Um like two had definitely its place in history as an influence for sure. Yeah. So I mean there's again, there's better for worse, you know, they took um aspects out of two that people liked and became you know, just a hit. So it's great. Werewolf, how about you? You got anything in closing you want to talk about the series in general? Not particularly. Just that uh, I, after all these years, I still really enjoy the original 
the the classic Castlevanias more so as an adult than I did as a teenager because once Symphony of the Night rolled around I was on board for the Igavanias entirely and I couldn't get enough of them and after a while they did get kind of stale and yet for some reason the classic style Castlevanias when I get to play a new one that I haven't before I I'm still in love with it yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. It did get stale. Some of the uh, Game Boy Advance games were all the Metroidvania, Egovania style, and they did get a little bit uh, repetitive. But I mean, I still ate them up. I, I love them. But I think that the the aging of the original games is a lot cleaner than those ones because you know they're simpler. They have established rules and boundaries with like the jumps and the mechanics of the game you know the delay whenever you hit the whip they have all those those angles that make them just you know a lot more timeless a lot more pick up and go and you know that's not a bad thing that's not a good thing it's just a thing and i think that part just has made it age crisply this is what i want to say i don't i can't think of the proper word how about you, GP? Do you have anything else you want to talk in closing? Any more cool stories? Or uh, <laughs> no, tapped out? No, I, I, again, I'm just trying to convey through like metaphors like how I feel about it. And I think, you know, one and two both had their merits. Three was the, uh, for, for those of you Dragon Ball Z fans out there, it's the Gogeta. You know, it's, it's the multiplication of all the good things and the strengths from the first and the second made to, like into this ultimately supremely better than it needs to be game i love it but still even though you know as we we do all, all the time i say three i think is clearly the best two is still my favorite i like that see i i went with two for years and now after the suffering i went through with three uh three has become like close to my heart i really enjoy it how about you werewolf for all its uh shortcomings i still two is my go-to if i have a chance to play one of them it's it's different, but it still plays like the classic games. And like I said, I just never get sick of Bloody Tears. Yeah, I can't blame you there. All right, and Jake, you mentioned how you like uh, three the most. No, I mean I appreciate number two for what it uh, what it offers as an influence to other games and other series. But yeah, I think three is the, the clear cut winner for me. It's the one I played the most. It's the one I enjoyed the most. And that uh, multiple character select is just amazing. It's amazing to see like the evolution i love it without the first one we wouldn't have the second one without the second one we wouldn't have the third one you know uh the third one obviously really resembles the first it's just the way they own up to each other after a while it's great uh so guys thanks for hanging out with us there in closing this has been press b to cancel and uh been great and it's been great to host through uh talking about one of my favorite series of all time Let's talk about how we can find everybody here, part of the cast here. Jake, where can I find you outside of this podcast? I'm on Twitch and the Twitters. Uh, Sick Jake. There might be a K in there. I forget. So uh, how about you, Werewolf? You can find me on Twitch, oftentimes being a silly bastard, or on Twitter at Werewolf, W-A-R-E-W-U-L-F-F. Perfect. Thank you very much. And how about you, Guy Prime of the Retro Therapy? Uh, Well, yeah, when I'm not hanging out with you, bros, I am on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Twitch, obviously, and then uh, we got some stuff going up on YouTube. And, Paul, before we say goodbye, I have to commend you. Your uh, enthusiasm for this series is totally infectious, and uh, I love just hearing you talk about it. So thank you for gracing us with that. Well done. Uh, Thank you. I'm a kid in a candy store when it comes to this series. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. 
Thank you. Well, you can find me, Polish109, at Twitch. Uh, so it's twitch.tv slash Polish109. That's P-A-L-S-H-109. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. So this has been Press B to Cancel, and uh, we hope to see you again. Thank you for listening in, and keep mashing that B button. This episode brought to you by Speak and Spell Model 43. Special thanks for music go to Arthur the Ancient, found on SoundCloud, or The Last Ancient on YouTube. For more episodes, please visit our website, pressb2cancel.com. As well, feel free to like or subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you like to listen to your favorite shows. As always, thank you. This has been... Press B to Cancel.